Hello, and thank you for joining us. Welcome to Getting Weird with Christine Bellinger and myself, Daria Anderson. So today, Christine is going to be sharing her experience with using a mala for her meditation practice. And so she's going to talk more about that. And I've tried it a little bit too, so I might jump in here and there. So Christine, tell us about how your week was, first of all. Namaste, Daria. Namaste. <laughs> um, my week, uh, so checking in, my week has been uh, a little bit up and down, you know, not feeling great all the time with everything that's going on. I feel like I've really like tapped into the collective energy right now and, and like the collective grief that's happening over the way things were. And I think everyone's realizing it's not going back to the way things were. So I've just been feeling the feels and just trying to, to ride the wave, keep putting one foot in front of the other uh, as, as, we, as we move through this time. It's just a really, really challenging time, I think, for everyone right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. It's been a little bit, this whole month has been challenging and um, I think I mentioned to you before, one thing that I'm struggling with is how to not do too much, but then also not just fall into a habit of doing nothing. And I think my body has really taught me that I need to slow down. I think I've been going a hundred miles an hour and that's just kind of my way. I think of managing a difficult situation as I go into overdrive mode and I try and just solve problems continuously. And I think I was talking to you and you said, you know, something along the lines of you're trying to do the next 10 years of your business in the next week. And it's just not feasible or healthy to put those kind of standards on yourself and those kind of expectations. So I've been working on trying to just rest more and do more things that are just relaxing and giving my body and mind a break. And it's hard for me to do that. I don't know if other people have that experience, but even, you know, when I was working full time and just working really hard, I kind of thought, oh, I'm just so busy. I don't have time to rest, but it's nothing to do with my surroundings. It was more just myself that I have all the time in the world now to rest. And I still am filling all that time with to do's and shoulds and whatever. So I think it's been a bit of a journey for me that way in learning that how much of our time and the way that we perceive our time is just really it's within and it's with how we choose to perceive the value of rest and the value of work and how we prioritize that. So that's been my journey this week. Yeah, same, same. I'm struggling with the same things. Um, Daria and I are both kind of along, we started our businesses around the same time. So we're both nurturing these new businesses and it's, it seems like having all of this time would be, I don't know, have you found that time just goes by really fast when you're working. It really, it really, really does. Like, and I guess that's the wonderful thing about having your own business and working on something that you're really passionate about is you could just spend hours on it and think, oh my gosh, it's been 
four hours that I've just sat here and typed away. But at the same time, it's, it's, you kind of have to make time for yourself to take breaks and to do things that are healthy for your brain and body too. Yeah. I, um, after we record this, I'm going fishing on Boulder Creek. Oh, good for you. I had a bunch of things listed out that I, some to do's and I'm just going to get them done tonight or tomorrow, not worry about it and, and get outside fish. Something that I find very relaxing and therapeutic. That's a good plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think one thing for me that's always been really relaxing and therapeutic is baking. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I've just been baking a lot. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people must have be, must be baking a lot. It's none of the grocery stores have any types of flour. Yeah, it, there's something just so soothing and human about baking. Something I've heard is that the grocery stores are out of yeast because everyone's baking bread. Hmm. And so I think bread is just this really simple human thing that you make. It's just a staple in people's diets, and uh, it's just this little creation with flour, yeast, and water, and it makes this food that's so hearty and delicious. So I'm more of a sweet sort of person. I make cookies, healthy kind of cookies and stuff. I make up my own little recipes and I just always feel better. Maybe it's comfort food. Cookies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get that little serotonin bump and like some mm-hmm. bit of dopamine from, from the carbs and the, and the mm-hmm. sugars and everything. Yeah. Yeah, maybe in the show notes, I'll share my my healthy cookie recipe. It's like a pretty yummy cookie that's secretly healthy. So today we're going to be talking about Japa meditation. And um, just so everyone knows, we have created a YouTube channel for the Getting Weird podcast. Uh, I believe it's just called Getting Weird Podcast. And we'll be posting videos every week or as needed, that have to do with uh, basically how-to videos for whatever technique or thing we're, re- we're reviewing each week. So this week I have the Japa meditation uh, tutorial on the YouTube channel. You can go watch that video. And it's just a very basic introduction to how to meditate using uh, mala beads and using a mantra. So japa meditation is really just means mantra meditation. It's very common to use the mala beads with the mantra. And a mantra is a word or a sound repeated to aid concentration in meditation. And mantras can be, it can be many different things. It can be, it could be like a a divine name. It could be an affirmation. It could be a word, it could be a phrase. The limits are only your imagination. But usually for someone starting out, I would try something very simple, like maybe one word or two words. Um, in the video, I demonstrate using aham prema, which is in English, it means I am divine love. I think when I first learned how to, how to do Japa meditation, we used so hum, and that translates to I am I am that. So it's, it's kind of this, like, I am everything. I am the universe, essentially, everything combined. 
It's kind of like how we were talking about last episode with having no head. It, it's just this realization of non-dualism, right? Mm-hmm. Just you're not separate from everything around you. Um, so when you're doing these chants, I've always found that it's interesting because there's something about the Sanskrit word that seems really powerful, even though you might not even know what it means exactly sometimes, or as you're going through with the beads, you might not be thinking of the meaning. You're just saying the Sanskrit word, but what do you think it is about Sanskrit, if anything, that makes it special? You know, it's, it's very weird because I feel the same way. It's, there's like a very special sacred connection I feel to the language. And also what I've noticed is when you're speaking words in Sanskrit or chanting, there's a certain degree of like humming that you're, you're doing repeatedly. And that humming, as we know, can help with the nervous system and help the tone of the vagus nerve. Uh, a lot of good things can, can come from this humming, this vibration of the vocal cords. Yeah, I remember when I did my first yoga teacher training and they talked, we had somebody talk to us about Sanskrit and the meaning of the words that described each posture, each asana, and how the words, the Sanskrit word that was the name of the posture was in a way meant to describe the shape of the posture. So in cobra pose, where you're on your stomach and you're kind of lengthening your chest up, the Sanskrit word is bhujangasana. But if you just say it like that, it's kind of like whatever. But the way the teacher was describing it to us, she would say bhujangasana. And it's like that feeling of lengthening up through your chest and grounding through your tail. And it sounded, you could just feel you could feel the posture in the word. Mm. And that's... Is that like onomatopoeia? I think onomatopoeia is... (laughs) I think that's when it's a word that means a sound. So maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, But I just think that's fun to play with if you're a yoga person, if you look up how to actually pronounce some of the postures and see if they have the right feel of the word with the posture that you're doing like triangle pose is trikonasana mm-hmm. and it just has that like sharp angled sound yeah, to it sound. And, that, mm-hmm. and that i know posture. there is a word for that i think there's a te- like a, te- a word like a technical word for a technical word for when the word sounds like what it means yeah yeah like like whoosh <laughs> well that's like onomatopoeia though <laughs> So it's not onomatopoeia, it's something else. Maybe okay. someone who's listening to this will know and they'll drop it in the comments. Yeah, if anybody knows, just <laughs> let us know. <laughs> Any English majors out there. Okay, so so you were talking about your, you started with soham, but you also Soham, like- yeah. Soham, I really like aham prema. I use that one a lot. Well, let me just tell you what I do every day as part of my meditation practice. And then I'll tell you why I like the Japa meditation. Okay, sock it to me. So I sit down, I clear my space, I burn some Palo Santo or some sage. I light a candle 
about the first three or four minutes, I do some pranayama, some breathing exercises. And so whatever, I kind of assess my energy and choose a breathing exercise based on my energy the day or how I want to change my energy a little bit. If I'm feeling really wound up, I'll do, you know, some Nadi Shodhana, some alternate nostril breathing or some breathing with an extended exhalation. So I, I'll do some breathing exercises for about three or four minutes just to kind of get centered. And then I do about 10 minutes of self Reiki. And then I do about 10 minutes of the Japa meditation. And then I do about five or so minutes of like a gratitude practice. And that's like my daily go-to meditation. That sounds like a really nice little routine. Yeah, it takes about 20, 25 to 30 minutes. Um, it combines all of the things that I already experimented with and know I liked. But the Japa meditation, why I really like that and why I think it's great for beginners is that it really does give your monkey brain something to do so that you can concentrate. So you're using the mantra to basically occupy the superficial levels of consciousness so that mantra is repeating over and over again. And then your, your hands are doing something or your at least one hand is, is on the beads, counting the beads with each mantra. So in the video, I talk about how I hold the beads and this is how I was taught. And I also like dis disclaimer, you know, hardcore yogis have a whole different, some people hold the beads upright and use their middle finger to count. Uh, some people use their thumb to count. The only thing that I learned was, um, that's consistent with a lot of the more traditional practices is to not let the beads rest on your index finger because the index finger represents the ego and we're trying mm. to separate the ego. So typically the beads are held like this with a thumb pressing down over the middle finger, that bead in between. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. That makes me wonder about a lot of the things we do in our lives. We are a lot of the times gripping with our index finger, mm -hmm. you know, like how, how you hold a pen. Or key, yeah. Your keys, yeah. So once you have these two things in place, so you're use, your, your hands got something to do, you're repeating this mantra. With these superficial levels of consciousness kind of occupied, it allows you to descend into some deeper levels of concentration and also um, deeper layers of consciousness or even contemplation. So your mantra, and this is very, um, I think this is correct that in Tibetan Buddhism, the mantra is often used as a source of contemplation. So whatever is the subject of your mantra is what you're actually thinking about in your meditation. So it could be divine love. It could be you know, the Soham, I am, I am that, that non-dualism, that oneness, you can contemplate that. Uh, I've been using, uh, over the weekend, I was using the mantra in English, just, it's easy for me to receive. And as I get deeper into the meditation, I can contemplate that feeling of being open and receiving and that energy, that exchange, energy exchange with the universe or divine source or whatever you want to call it, can contemplate 
that theme that I am open, I'm an open conduit for universal energy or creative energy. Yeah, that's the really nice thing about this kind of meditation is that you can really make it focused on what you want to focus on. And a lot of the reading I've done, so I was kind of steeped in insight meditation or Vipassana and the school of thought behind that is that concentration is important and any of these practices where you're repeating something over and over or focusing on something it's just making your focus more and more and more precise um that's called a concentration meditation or like a samadhi meditation is what it would be in pali which is uh, the language of the buddha but the ultimate goal would be insight or panya and that's beyond concentration that's where you are observing the reality as it is so kind of you were referring to those deeper levels of contemplation mm -hmm. and i kind of took that to mean and this is just the way my brain works is i have to go to the most extreme <laughs> right away but <laughs> And I'm like, oh, samadhi is not that important. Uh, you need to get to the insight part. So that's, and that's kind of how I've always, I wouldn't say always, but that was for many years, my main goal of practice. And I think also some of the traditions that I practiced in would poo-poo things like mantra meditations or mala meditations, because it's not going deep, you know, but as you know, when I was learning those things and practicing those things, I was living at meditation centers and that's all I ever did. So of course it's easy to go deep, but then when you get to real life and you're working every day and you have all these demands on you and unexpected things happen, like your car dies and you have to deal with that, or you spill something on the floor and your time's getting more and more crunched and your mind is becoming less and less tranquil and all the other external factors of all the people you deal with and all these things. And it becomes really hard to just go really deep. And sometimes going really deep when you're frustrated or even at a time like now where we're dealing with pretty much a universal grief and universal fear and universal shifts in the way we think about things and our beliefs and uncertainty. It's, maybe not the best thing to go super deep. It might not, you know, you might not be psychologically prepared for that. I, at least I know I'm not. And doing things like mala meditations or mantra meditations or doing things that just help to calm my mind and calm my nervous system are much more beneficial for me personally. And that's just, it's taken me many years to realize that I need those things and that there's a time and place for them. But it's, at least for me, I think of mala meditation as something that I use or japa meditation. It's something that I use when I'm feeling just so wound up and I, I'm not as precise. I don't know if I do it the right way. Cause I'll go through and just every time I click a bead, I'll just say something nice about myself. <laughs> yeah. And by the end of that, I feel a lot better and I have a way better day. And I so I also feel like there's something grounding about being connected to, you know, you're holding your mala is 
made out of these organic materials, right? So it's like this connect, you're still staying connected to the earth. It's a very grounding way to meditate, in my opinion. Yeah, and actually vocalizing the words, because for me, again, I'm a very literal person, and I am a very, I like to just do things really right. And so my brain immediately goes to, oh, well, I, what if I say, if I just say the words, how can that possibly mean anything? You know, like, how can that change the way I think just saying the words? But when you look at the science behind it, the way our mind works is we create associations with everything. And so if you're sitting there saying love, 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 your associations with the word love are most likely positive and feelings of love. <laughs> Some of us have a, may have a distorted relationship with love and that might not be the best word for you. So that's right. something to consider too, but just saying kind things about yourself, like I am loved, uh, I am beautiful, whatever. Yeah, even like I am enough, you know. I am enough. Yeah, and it sounds even like kind of kitschy to say those things. And when you see those like T-shirts, you're kind of like, okay, you know. <laughs> but it's true. It's very powerful to to say those things to yourself and to see them and to repeat them because in the moment you might not realize, oh, like I feel so profoundly different. But after 108 beads of that, you do feel different and you do feel like the words that you were saying. Yes. And you, so you can keep it super simple. You can make it really complicated. You know, if, I mean, I think the longest, cause I'll chant like, to got different goddesses and things like that. And, you know, people are like, oh, 108 times. If you're saying this long phrase, I mean, if you're just saying like, aham premar, I am love, you'll get around that mala in about three or four minutes. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's 108 really isn't that many times. Usually I'll do several passes of the mala, unless I'm doing a really long mantra. What's the longest mantra you've done? Om Prem Shreem Shri Shri Lakshmi Swaha is a kind of a longer mantra. Yeah, that's that's a lot. I don't uh, know if I can even repeat that back to you. That's that's a um, that's a chant to to Lakshmi, Goddess Lakshmi, who is the goddess of abundance and good fortune. Hmm. So I use I use that one a lot. That was. Um, the, the yoga school that I attended for my teacher training was called Lakshmi Rising. So we did a lot of uh, chants to Lakshmi. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry to even say this, but <laughs> so talking about word associations. So in another one of my yoga teacher trainings, one of my friends in the yoga uh, training with us, his name is Rob Loud and he teaches at Yoga Pod and he's awesome. You should mm -hmm. check him out, but he's just hilarious and was just very, um, you know, he's like not your typical yoga person. He's a little rough around the edges in the most wonderful way. And I remember we were, after our training, we were hanging out talking and he's like, well, I don't know my ass from Lakshmi, but this stuff is great. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> always 
remember that because <laughs> when I hear Lakshmi, so that's my, it's still a positive association with that <laughs> word because it's a lovely memory, but that's my, that's my association. <laughs> that's funny. Um, I, I want to, I want to correct something I said earlier. I think I was saying that the, uh, in Tibetan Buddhism is use these, the contemplation aspects of the mantra, which I think they do, but I was actually thinking about Patanjali who said in the yoga sutras, he, the mantra is used as contemplation as a contemplation mm. practice. Yeah. Mm. Just a little clarify, cover yeah <laughs> so that's that kind of brings up an interesting point too because so you have your concentration meditation and then you have your contemplation meditation and I think it's separate to have insight meditation yeah even though we're kind of mixing uh Buddhist and Hindu and... Hindu terminologies mm -hmm. so what what would you say is the difference between contemplation and insight, if you can? Kind of put you on the spot there. Okay, here's what, here's what I think the difference is. So I think contemplation meditation is, you know when people say like, well, I'm going to meditate on this. You know, mm -hmm. have you ever heard anybody say that? And sure. I'll get back to you. So contemplation is where you're going to actually work through something. So have you ever heard of the felt sense? Sure. It's, yeah, it's just basically being able to sense your body and there's some books about developing a felt sense to be able to uh, free your body from uh, certain past traumas or things like that. So there's different ways you can use the felt sense. Like you can ask your body questions. So say you sit to meditate and feel your sensations and you might sit, get quiet, and then ask your body, what do I do about this situation? And you wait for your body to kind of give you answers and you follow up on that. That would be a more contemplative meditation versus if you just sit and say, okay, I'm just going to see what comes up. You don't have an agenda. You're just observing whatever is arising. I would say that's more of an insight, just being able to see whatever is happening, what is the reality of that present moment? And I think the way that mala meditations kind of fall into that is you, you're contemplating because you're repeating something over and over. That phrase that you're repeating could be something that you're actually thinking about or working through, or you're just wanting to draw more of that into your life. So it might, as you go through and do the mala beads, maybe something comes up for you, some insight, some truth, some answer. Have you ever had that experience? Um, just like spontaneously, like a spontaneous yeah. answer. Sure. Yeah. I've had that. I've had that happen quite a bit actually. And when I was first starting, I thought that was a bad thing because I was not, like, something would pop up and I'd be like, no, I'm just supposed to be like, yeah mindful of my mantra. Like I'm just being, it's like a mindfulness practice of just, it's like, it's like, instead of using the breath with mindfulness meditation, you're just using your mantra. So you're just like, every time your mind strays, you just come back to the word, back, back to the mantra, back to the, the bead. 
And um, when I would have these, these insights arise, I was like, oh no. Like for instance, one time I was, I didn't have a, an intention or anything. I don't sit typically with an intention. Uh, it's usually my intention is just to, to let go and follow what I'm doing. Um, but these insights do spontaneously arise occasionally. And one time I was just counting my beads and repeating my mantra. And I got a vision of um, contacting someone to, to mentor me of this person, like this person's face just popped into my, into my mind. And I had never spoken to this person or met them in real life or anything like mm. that. So, so sometimes these things pop up and I think it's important to I try to journal if something like that comes up after I meditate. Um, it's not all the time, but occasionally you'll get these little, little kind of like nudges from the universe. Yeah. I'd say that's a very tricky space to work with because yes, you can have these insights, but also they're also distractions. Distractions. Exactly. And so how are you going to determine what's an insight and what's a distraction? And that I don't know, I don't know the answer to, but I think the best rule of thumb that's worked for me, and I'm curious what works for you is I, even if I feel like I have some great insight, like I'll be sitting to meditate and I'll be like, oh my God, that's the answer to that question that I've been wondering about forever. And then my brain wants to go, well, let's explore this more and right. like, let's go down this <laughs> rabbit hole and analyze. That's that's problematic. You want to just come back to your meditation practice because that insight you've, you've seen it and then you're done with it. And one thing that I sometimes use, not always, but is helpful is just, I just keep a little notebook and paper and pen by where I'm meditating. And if I get something like that, that I just can't let go of, I just write it down and then I can let go of it. Because I'm like, all right, I can come back to that later. Because I think my brain thinks, oh, I have to keep thinking about this or I'm going to forget about it or I'm going to lose it. So just writing it down and putting it aside, it seems like that would really take you out of your meditation. But it actually, for me anyway, helps me just let go and get back to my mala or just sitting or whatever. Agreed. Yeah. I wanted to share, like, I, so when I was growing up, my family is Turkish and so they're Muslim. And I grew up, my parents aren't super religious, but my grandmother would always have prayer beads. And we all had prayer beads. I don't think they had 108 beads on them. And we called them something different. I feel really bad that I can't remember what we called them. But as we would click the beads, we would say, Bismali Rahmahi Rahim. And that means in the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. And that was just something I remember just that I sat and did with my grandmother as a little kid. And I just remember liking it. I didn't remember, I didn't know what any of it meant or why. It just felt like a nice thing to do. And she was always doing that. And we always, they would always bring us all these pretty different beads from Turkey. And yeah, that's just another association I have with that. And I think it's interesting that all these different cultures have utilized 
these beads as a way to pray and prayer, I would argue, is a form of meditation and contemplation. I'm sure there's some history as to how, you know, somebody invaded somebody else and introduced these beads. <laughs> or or did they just come up with them on their own? That would be really crazy. Should research that, actually. Who was the first, what was the first culture to discover prayer beads? Yeah. Yeah. I'll get back to you guys. Mm. And again, if anybody knows the answer to that, let us know. <laughs> yeah, and the beads are the beads are amazing too. I have I have three mala um, malas that I use for meditation, and I choose each one based on the material. I have a I have a mala that's made out of amethyst beads. Um, amethyst is really good for healing and uh, working with things like addiction. So there is like an energetic quality to the materials made, um, used to make the mala. Uh, I have a sandalwood bead mala, and so the, the beads are very fragrant. They're actually carved from sandalwood, and um, sandalwood is supposed to be helpful to, to deepen your meditation, to help you ascend into those deeper layers of consciousness. I love sandalwood. I, I didn't really ever know what its meaning was, but it's just one of my favorite smells. It's so delicious to me. Mm -hmm. And it's very grounding as well. Mm -hmm. And um, also I have um, Radraksha uh, seeds strung into a mala Radraksha Radraksha trees are a sacred tree in Hindu, and Radraksha actually means Shiva's teardrops. It's just a really cool, another cool material to, to meditate with. I did mention in the video that it's very important to the materials that your mala is made from to find them produced from a sustainable source. Hmm. Um, because a lot of these things like even like Palo Santo wood, some of these sacred plants that are being harvested for, um, for things like beads aren't being harvested sustainably. So just check where you get your stuff from. Don't just like find something cheap on Amazon and order it. Make sure you know like where the materials came from. It's the energy of the the mala will be much better as well if no harmful practices were utilized to obtain the materials. Hmm. So like if, you know, forests or animals or something were being harmed to make your mala bead, that energy of suffering of all those beings would be somehow transmitted through the beads? I mean, it could, you know, these material, these, uh, stones and crystals and things pick up energies. I, I just simply, I try to get my materials from a sustainable source. And I also, as soon as I receive the materials, I, or the mala, if it's, if I just bought one already strung, I cleanse it using some, some sage. I, they always sit on my altar. So they're always kind of being infused with this good energy. And really every time you use your mala, you're infusing it with some really good energy and, and some protection. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, even if you don't believe in energetic qualities of things, or if you feel like you don't feel those things, just think of, again, the power of your own mind and just knowing. And if you think about what is all that energy doing, you know, what Christine is talking about is she's taking a lot of time and care into taking care of these things so that when she picks it up in her hand, she has all that thought and prior actions, all those connections have been made in her brain and nervous system of going through all those actions of, I really care about this thing and I'm going to take care of it. And that just changes her whole relationship with when she does actually sit and do her meditation. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, some of these energetic practices might seem a little different or unnecessary. And I, I can't say that I always, I've never sage cleansed a rock or anything like that, but I definitely see the value in, in doing those things. And um, I think you just each have to decide what, to what degree feels right for you and acknowledging the impact that that can have. And some real um, hardcore Japa meditators will, I, I mean, we probably wouldn't even agree with how I handle my beads. Um, some people say you're not supposed to let them ever touch the floor when you meditate with them. You're not supposed to, you're supposed to hold them either like below your navel or at your heart. You're not supposed to like be wearing them and use the bathroom. Some say you're supposed to keep them in a special box and that box is only for those beads. I mean, there's, it's, it's a sacred item, you know, your yeah. beads. Yeah. I, I don't know. This is just my personal opinion, but I think a lot of things that are powerfully transformative, people add on a lot and then it becomes just a ritual that doesn't have any meaning other than you're just doing it because you're supposed to. And that's where I think a lot of things get misconstrued and I don't want to go too far into that, but if you think about like, and this is an extreme obviously, but like religion and how people do horrible things now in the name of religion, which started off as like this really good intention thing. And then people kept adding on whatever. So um, yeah, I would say not that any of that, stuff with the japa meditation is bad or wrong but just you know think about what you feel like is important for you and right for you and uh make your own decisions don't just do things because people told you to like think about what does this mean for me and how is this going to change my my practice (laughs) yes and that's why i encourage people to really use use a mantra that that vibes with them i mean some some meditation practices like transcendental meditation, your guru or your teacher gives you a medita- a mantra that's specifically for you and you're not supposed to share that mantra with anyone else. Mm. So, but I mean, I think it's really about, to make this accessible for everyone, it really can be whatever you want it to be. So it could be an affirmation. It could be a, you know, a paragraph long Sanskrit, could be the Gayatri mantra or something like that. That's a paragraph long. It could be one word, you know, in any language and it'll still be wildly effective, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I have this. My mala bead is made of rose quartz. Mm -hmm. And I looked up what rose quartz means. And I would just, I just always love rose quartz. It's probably my favorite stone. And again, I, I never really researched it. I just have always been drawn to it and liked it. And so I just looked it up and it says rose quartz is the stone of universal love. It restores trust and harmony in relationships, encourages unconditional love. Rose quartz purifies and opens the heart at all levels to promote love, self-love, friendship, deep inner healings, and feelings of peace. And that's just, I mean, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't even, you didn't know that. You were just like, I like the way this feels in my hand. I like the way it looks. You were mm -hmm. drawn to it intuitively. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't think you need to necessarily think too hard about picking your materials. It's just whatever feels right to you is a good way to start whatever you're drawn to. And a lot of, a lot of new agey stores now, if you have access to, I'm none of us, none of us are really going any place right now. So I think it might be a little harder to buy something like that online, but I don't know. You can read about. To buy a mala? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you could read about it and see what energies resonate with you too. There's nothing wrong with that going the other way. Yeah. And you can also learn to make your own mala. I have one, my amethyst one is the one I made on my own. It's actually very simple provided you have the right tools. You really just need um, a, a small tool. I forget what it's called to help, to help make the knots in between the beads. There's many tutorials online of how to make your own mala. If you're, if you're crafty, if you're a beater <laughs> or a jewelry, jewelry gal or guy. Oh my God. I bet on Etsy, they have like mala making kits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fun. I ended up making one for my mom um, after I made the amethyst one for myself. Yeah. It seems like it would be also like a, a pretty soothing thing to do. It's soothing. And it's a really just sweet gift because your, your mala was gifted to you. Correct. Yeah, my friend Haley made it for me. It was, and it makes it so much more special. Yeah. I always think of her when I use it. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so nice, you know, that somebody took all this time to make it for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, my mala that's made from the Rudraksha beads or seeds was a gift from my yoga teacher at the teacher training. And so it has a very, has a really nice significance as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All those little things make a difference, I think. So do you think you're going to stick with doing mala meditations as your daily practice? Well, right now I've been doing that um, routine that I mentioned to you earlier for about the last, well, I just started adding in the Reiki in maybe like a month and a half ago, about six weeks ago. But I'll definitely continue, continue the japa. It resonates for me and it's easy. I feel like I can drop in pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Sounds like a really nice little morning routine. Nice way to start the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so next week, should we do our, our wrap up? Yeah. So next week, we're going to be talking about grounding or it's also called earthing. And this is a 
little technique that's become popularized lately of basically walking around barefoot outside. <laughs> and we'll get into more of the details next week, but that's in reverence to Earth Day, which the day that we're recording this is actually Earth Day, but it won't be out for a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, we want to do a little something to celebrate. It'll the be Earth. out on Friday. Yeah, it'll be out next Friday, a week from when you're hearing this one come out. <laughs> yeah, podcast world time is different than regular world time. So yeah, make sure you tune in for that. And are you going to do a video for our listeners if they want to practice earthing before the episode comes out? Yeah, I bet I could put together a little video. Uh, it'll probably just be me walking around barefoot outside. But no, I'll give you some tips and pointers on what to pay attention to. So make sure you tune in for that. And if you like this show, make sure you give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to this. And leave us some comments if you have questions or if you have answers to some of our questions. <laughs> or if you just want to let us know how we're doing and how we can better serve you guys with this podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Daria. And I'm Christine. Inviting you to get a little weird. weird. (laughs) Have a great week, guys. Bye.